Welcome back, everybody. I should come up with a better way to start these things out. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the Iceman job, and I have Tara Kennedy back with me to talk about it. Hello. So psyched that you're here. It's been a long time. What was the last episode we talked on? Was it the it was, finale? I think it was the finale. Yes. Oh, the finale where we had to <laughs> we had so many technical difficulties. We <laughs> Not did have work. quite a few. <laughs> like record start over like three times it's fine it's fine if that's not gonna happen today the weather here is is beautiful so yeah so we're gonna be talking about the Iceman job this episode aired on September 2nd 2009 uh, it was written by Christine Boylan and directed by Jeremiah Chechik who when I looked at his IMDb page it was just a cornucopia of uh, like notable names, including National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and the um, a movie that I really loved at the time, Benny and June. Never seen Christmas Vacation, so I can't speak to that. But I love Benny and June. He's directed at least two Van Halen music videos. The Avengers, not Marvel's Avengers, but like Emma Peel and uh, oh yeah, um, those Avengers. He directed four episodes of the show The Middleman, which I loved. And uh, Gossip Girl, being The American Being Human, Warehouse 13, Burn Notice, uh, Chuck, Heart of Dixie. Oh, Just a lot, of, a lot of fun things. That was exciting. I was like, what? Christmas vacation? That seems really topical to this time of year. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and um, then, of course, we had our executive producers, John Rogers, Chris Downey. Etc. Etc. So in this episode without Sophie, this is our first episode without Sophie, the team try to recover stolen diamonds only to get too wrapped up in the con and have everything go wrong, which is great. Uh, I love Lisa, but I was kind of glad that we didn't do this episode together because she's always dogging on Hardison's fact that he always goes too into his his grifts when he's when he's the con artist and he really gets in over his head in this episode. So I don't have to hear her be so mean to my boy. Right? <laughs> Not that she'd actually be mean, but you know, but she's always giving me a hard time. So the episode starts out with an armored car. That's I, I wrote in my notes, carrying the Boston equivalent of a good old boy. And it's just very like playing that very quintessential stereotypical Boston guy. And the armored car is burgled by three guys in balaclavas who come and like explode part of it and break in and steal $10 million worth of diamonds. And we find out this, that the, oh, and when he tries to stop them, he's, he's shot in the shoulder by one of them. We find out when he meets up with Nate that he's a Boston police officer who's had to take a side job driving this armored car because his wife was laid off. And now he the robbery is suspected of being an inside job and he's suspected of being the inside man. So he's being looked at and all his medical bills are piling up and he's his wife still doesn't have a job and he can't work his normal job with a bullet wound. And it's it's pretty it's pretty bad. And Nate is, since Sophie's gone, he's having to meet with him alone. And he accidentally orders Sophie a drink. <laughs> it's really sad. But, and I, later in the episode, we see Sophie drinking this same drink. And I don't know what drink this is. Did you recognize it? I did not. It almost, I'm sure it's not as simple as a seltzer, but it. Because it had a bit of a tint to it. It was like a light brown color, but it looked really watered. Yeah, it did. And but it wasn't like a whiskey soda or something because it was in a like a tall glass. Yeah, it was definitely a tall. It was an unusually shaped glass, even mm -hmm. the kind of glass that you think, wow, does every bar really have this glass? <laughs> <laughs> they get it just for Sophie. I mean, they, they don't it's possible anybody that else Sophie carries around this glass. That's true. And she's just like, here, honey, you're going to need this for this drink that you're going to make for me a lot. Uh, then we, we find out about our, our baddie. His name is Jim Carity Third, And he has inherited his diamond business, but he has spent most of his money on booze, drugs, and women. And he's been running this 
third generation, at least, business into the ground. Uh, so he's going to be looking to get this insurance payout where he'd get $9 million plus the money he's he could get from uh, pawning, not pawning, but uh, fencing these diamonds. So they're going to need to, you know, screw him over and get, them, get some of the money back for their clients. And Nate points out that the insurance claim is going to take a long time because there's a lot of red tape that you have to go through. And so he's going to want some fast, ready money. And to do that, he's going to have to fence the diamonds. But because we live in the future now, all these diamonds are marked and he's going to need a special laser to get it off. And we get to see some of Parker's special skills here because she kind of takes over this part of the presentation to talk about the the little the laser inscription the laser and the inscriptions yeah uh and so we knew that the the special lasers are only in antwerp tel aviv and dubai and as of right then boston because they um they're going to convince carity that they can clean the diamonds and then they're going to drop him right into our blast from the past, Lieutenant Bonanno's lap from the state police. And we haven't seen him since the first episode this season. Yeah, I think that was pretty much because wasn't that even his introduction in the that first was, episode? Yeah. Where we meet him and so now he's coming back. Yeah. I'm yeah, we we saw the FBI agents again, but we haven't seen Bonanno again. Right. But yeah, and I enjoyed the both the discomfort that Parker had trying to figure out where to sit. Yes. <laughs> As they had their meeting, because she's usually sitting next to Sophie and Hardison solves it by moving to the couch next to her. And then also when she stole the clicker right out of Hardison's hand. She's <laughs> like, um, that's my because the diamonds were obviously her area of expertise. Yeah, and she points out these diamonds that she's stolen, the polar star and et cetera, et cetera which come into play later, much to her annoyance. And speaking of annoyance, when she's trying to figure out where she wants to sit, like she's sitting, trying to sit close to Elliot, who's sitting on the love seat. And, and you know, Nate's like, what's going on over here? Just Elliot, go sit by her, which is such a dad thing. Like, stop fighting with your sister. Go sit over there. Go sit together. And Elliot's like, no, this is where I sit now. <laughs> right. Which is where, like, that's where Sophie usually sat, right? And then Elliot sat, Parker sat where she was trying to sit, and Elliot sat on the other side? Well, I think it always switched up. I think it did switch up, but I think Parker is usually between people. Yeah, Yeah, there's one more person usually sitting down. Right, so she was feeling feeling alone as, as they all will. (laughs) <laughs> i know they readjust to these new group dynamics that's hard because they were used to working all by themselves and then get used to being together that was disrupted at the end of season one and they were just getting back in the the swing of things and here we have another disruption yeah i think it's an interesting because a lot of shows where there's some sort of team in the second season they do usually try and do something to rejigger the team dynamics and i know that in this case gina bellman's real life pregnancy um (laughs) triggered some of this but i still think it's a really interesting thing like having sophie go off on her own and have but obviously as we'll see they're not used to dealing doing any of this without her and she's not used to not not helping them either yeah not, not having a hand in it and she's such an, in, like, every single part of the team is integral. They need each other. Uh, but she's kind of the the heart. They, you know, she's like, she's the mom. She takes care of everybody and explains everybody to everybody else. Right. Um, so since Sophie's not there, Hardison is going to be the grifter. Parker's going to be the roper who's going to get their... Um, Mark. Gosh. Yeah, they're going to get the Merc's attention um, if as long as she doesn't stab him or break his fingers, as she does in these flashbacks that she has. But I will say that those guys deserved it. 
They totally did. Although it was funny because I didn't recognize the first flashback and had to went and looked and saw that it was a cut scene from um, the pilot episode. And that's why I didn't recognize oh, it. Okay. Cause I was like, well, they just filmed a, a fresh episode there. I, you know, well, and I, cause I actually spent time like, is this Parker just imagining how this is going to go? Like, what is this? That seems, <laughs> that seems unleveraged, like for us yeah. to get like a visual of her imagining, but apparently it was originally in the pilot episode and, um, got left out, but oh. was that along with the stork dog but mm-hmm. clip, which I did recognize because that's a very memorable scene. Yes. Um, he And he totally did deserve it. So <sighs> he deserved more than that. <laughs> and she's just, he's lucky that she, when she reached back, she just grabbed a fork and not a steak knife. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because he could have, that would have been fine with me if she had stabbed him with a knife. Uh, <laughs> So Parker's going to be the Roper and and she's panicking, obviously, because she's remembering these, you know, jobs gone bad or gone wrong. So she hides. She's in the she's in an apartment full of master thieves and like super brilliant people. And then she's just hiding behind like the kitchen cabinets, calling Sophie, panicking. Well, and leverage is always sort of funny about that, because um, a lot of times when they have their earbuds in, they'll. Sometimes they'll talk and the person who's literally standing next to them can hear them and sometimes they can't. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this was sort of more of that. Like she's, we can still see them over her shoulder. Like she's not that far away. Yeah. She's hiding under, you know, a kitchen island. So it's not anything that actually provides, <laughs> you know, privacy, any sort of auditory <laughs> sensory yeah. deprivation. Um, but it, you know, she's, but I also understand that some of this is TV that, you know. Yeah, it's it's the hand-waving, as we say. You know, just, just Although she could it. have gone into the bathroom, and that would have worked. She could have gone in the bathroom. She could have stepped <laughs> out into the hallway. She could have gone upstairs to Nate's room. But it's fine. It's fine. The closet right. uh, that Sophie walked into the other day. Yeah. Um, but she, you know, she gives her some tips on, you know, playing this character and she's like we've talked about this just trust the character uh and then she tells her to wear a uh, a diamond that she stole she's like if you still have that just wear that say nothing trust the diamond and so then she gets to dress up and then the the commentary they always make such a big deal about when beth reesgraf gets to dress up because she's usually you know in clothes that you can climb around in air ducts with and they they're all very impressed and she's she's very beautiful in this dress and she walks in and she's flaunting the diamond in front of Carity at this at this bar. And when he he actually, I mean, it's a beautiful diamond on a beautiful woman. Of course, it catches his interest. And she brings him back to to see her boyfriend who gave her the diamond. Uh, and she takes him back to Hardison, who's just using this horrible, horrible Cockney accent. Just so bad. <laughs> And he and Elliot are playing pool. And when Carity walks in, Elliot, you know, pushes him down onto the the pool table. (laughs) And then he lets him up and Hardison says he gets testy. It's because he's a mute. (laughs) So that I don't know. Just to be mean to Elliot, just so he won't try to ruin the con. I don't. It's just Hardison being full of shit, I think. Yeah, I think that was just Hardison being, I mean, as they, as we've talked about, Hardison gets so, so deep into his characters. He does keep adding uh, unnecessary details. Mm. Um, because the whole exchange was also weird, like... Carity walks in and Elliot immediately slams him down, you know, in a show of force. And then Parker, you know, as the girlfriend says, oh, well, it's fine. He just wants to talk diamonds. And they go, oh, okay. And they let him up. And I'm like, wait, what? How is that? I mean, great. (laughs) Yeah. I love when she walks in. He's like, no, what have I told you? Don't bring guys back here. And then she's like, oh, no, he's he's in the same business. He just wants to talk. Oh, yeah, sure. In that case, come in, man, and know me better. Like, what? Just no. 
And then he brings his uh, his bodyguards as well. And it's the three guys who broke into the armored car and they are Russian. And the head, the head henchman is played by uh, Pasha Lichnikov, Lichnikov. And he's one of those guys who's been in everything. He's uh, let's see, what has he been in? I have to scroll and scroll and scroll because he's been in a million things. He was he was in this really horrible movie with David Duchovny and Angelina Jolie and Timothy Hutton called Playing God, which was about a surgeon who was a drug addict and got kicked off out of his hospital and then became like a doctor for bad guys. It was real bad. But I loved Dave Duchovny so much at the time that I was willing to watch this awful movie. But yeah, no, he's been in other like tons of other things. The Big Bang Theory, a diehard movie, Shameless, Deadwood, NCIS, Elementary. He's one of those guys who's just, he's one of those, oh, hey, it's that guy. Which is really, I love that in Leverage, they use a lot of local people as day players. And, you know, the small characters, the the Boston cop in this one, he's like a local stand-up guy that John Rogers did stand-up with, and he just lived in Portland then. But it is cool to see familiar faces as well. So, Pasha. And his name is Pasha. That's a cool name. But, uh, let's see. So, going with Hardison, getting so into his characters and adding so much extra information that is unnecessary when he's trying to prove himself as like a master thief called the ice man which is the most subtle subtle name uh he he cites several several robberies as his own that are not his own that they are there are parkers that she mentioned earlier and you see her in the background like are you kidding me and she's like looking at el and she's like drinking her champagne angrily and i don't think parker gets angry enough in this episode well i think it's one of those things where she's trying so hard to be good at being the character Mm -hmm. that she's playing that she's not letting herself get mad at it get mad at the fact that he's basically taking credit for all of her work yeah but i also think I think probably in Hardison's mind, this is like such a tribute to her (laughs) that (laughs) he is building this character that is the greatest thief ever that has only stolen stuff that she stole. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He's got it all wrong though. (laughs) No, I mean, it is, it is a misunderstanding of Mm -hmm. how she is receiving this, but yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Um, and so along with claiming that he's stolen all these things that Parker's actually stolen, he also, uh, claims that he has this laser that can take the serial numbers off of the diamonds and leave them re-virginized or whatever. Uh, but he also wants 30% of the profits and Carity's not going for that. I don't know what he was going to do if Iceman did not show up and offer to do this for him. It's not like he could you know, head over to Antwerp with these not $10 million in stolen diamonds. It didn't really seem like he had thought through the process either, because he also thought insurance claims were fast, which no one has, who has ever dealt with insurance <laughs> a day in their life has ever thought. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just a privileged jerk. Thinks everything's going to go his way. Oh, I've I've run out of all this money, and for my for my family's company, I'll just you know get the insurance payout. So he does not go for this. You can use my laser for thirty percent of the profits, but his henchman does, and he picks up the napkin with <laughs> the Ice Man <laughs> and a phone number written on it, which is hilarious. And. Everyone, everyone hates Hardison's character. Like everyone's making fun of him. And Elliot claims that he's not going to bail him out because he's like, you're going to screw it up and I'm not going to help you at all. But he, he does. Spoiler alert. He does. 
He's unhappy about it. I know. I feel like that's a little bit like like every time they're like, well, at least we don't have to break into the such and such. <laughs> it's yes. sort of sort of Elliot saying, I'm not going to help you when you get in trouble. Like, mm-hmm. like we're all saying that now. Yeah. 20 minutes in, but. Oh, they're, at least you didn't tell them. At least they're not Russians. Oh, no. They're Russians. <laughs> ah. Right. Like that. <laughs> uh, so Nate goes into the, um, goes to Carity's Diamonds as an insurance agent named Sterling. So I like how he plays Sterling with kind of like a weird finicky like fussy voice and and you're wondering like is he playing is that how he thinks mark shepherd plays sterling or is he making fun of sterling and we have totally run it as he is making fun of sterling that's how i that's how i like to read it too (laughs) because sterling's terrifying so making fun of him is actually scary but it's hilarious too and in the last episode uh our our big big bad stark he went in in character as nate as well so it's as a insurance salesman or insurance adjuster um investigator there we go uh so it's kind of like this is kind of picking back piggybacking off that and just happening again uh and and while the team's getting ready for the next part of this con elliot is now on the phone with sophie uh, but he's not calling for advice like Parker was. He's just calling to complain. He's <laughs> like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I, I have to be backup. They can't count on me. And then, and we don't see Sophie's part of this conversation, which I think would be really cute if we could. But then he like hangs up and he's like, don't, don't tell Nate I call. <laughs> um, and then he just tells Parker that it was the cable company. <laughs> Even though he's standing like a foot away from her, she knows who he's talking to. Right. She's like, who's that? Cable company. And I love his costume in this, this, uh, his outfit in this scene. I think it's like his best one so far. He's got this like red shirt and he's got a vest on, or these aviators. And then they break into this uh, diamond factory. I didn't really pay attention to where they were, but they're in a lab and it's people who work on diamonds. And it was unclear to me, but there was a sign that said something about lasers. So I think it was basically something that would look. Yeah. And they, there were, although it was sort of one of those things that like, you know, if you were actually running a criminal enterprise where you where you shaved the numbers off of lasers, you wouldn't do it in a super official looking yeah, it building. Yeah, like in an office park. You'd, you'd be in a dark alley somewhere. Uh, but I mean, this is someplace that does use lasers for some sort of gem cutting because Parker is able to like go through a drawer of like cubic zirconia in a minute. Yes. Uh, but they walk in. Not in their cute outfits that they were in a second ago, but in big white jumpsuits as OSHA. <laughs> They're kicking everybody out, claiming that there's been some sort of toxin released in the air. And John Rogers says this scene was inspired by he, um, oh crap. When he left college, he worked for a little bit of a time as some sort of like inspector or firefighters, something. And there was a high school where there was a gas leak. And they were going in to inspect it and they like turn a corner and there are kids smoking because they were out of the viewpoint of like where teachers and principals could see them. But they had like cigarettes where there was like all this gas in the air that could have <laughs> ignited at any second. Um, and they had this, the way that Elliot and uh, Parker talked to these people, he says, honey, your lungs are a parking lot, sweetheart. And she says, and in that parking lot, the diagonal lines are painted with poison. <laughs> right. And then she like swings her head over and stares at him. And he's like, stop that. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and that poor lady's like, that's in my lungs. And everybody leaves. Uh, and as soon as they get everybody out, Carity comes on in with his guys. And Hardison pulls up late in her Ferrari. And he, then he introduces everybody to his laser, Linda, or Glenda. It's hard to tell. 
I the accent heard Glenda, but yes, Glenda, you're right. okay. the, the accent is tough. So, yeah. And he also says when he comes in, the Iceman cometh. Right. Because Which, it's partisan. Because <laughs> it's partisan. <laughs> and, and the writer, Christine Boylan, said, yeah, right before we filmed this, I said, okay, you should say the Iceman cometh when you come in. And he just did it. And they're like, he doesn't understand. He's very young. <laughs> he doesn't get the reference. Because <laughs> he just did it with, like, no shame. He's like, okay. Um. So he explains how his laser is going to work. It takes the the little the number off with a blah 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 laser, and he gets Parker to get him a, a soda. And she goes and uh, because Carity has brought this little two carat diamond, and she matches it up with a little cubic zirconia and attaches it somehow to the bottom of this can. And she takes it back to him, and then he pulls it off with this pinky. I would have dropped it. Yeah. I dropped it in a hot second. Um, and he switches it out and pockets the the little, the real diamond and gives Carity the fake diamond. And Parker's like, how is he going to be fooled by this? It's obviously not real. But Nate points out that he's not looking at the diamond. He's looking at the number. And there's no number on this one. So he buys it. And, uh, you know, they make it, they arrange for them to clean the rest of the diamonds the next day. And and everything's going according to plan. And then Hardison is kidnapped. Because he was too good. <laughs> so the Russians have kidnapped him. They want all the diamonds instead of the 10% they were going to get at the end of this job. And they want someone to break the diamonds out of Carity's vault in his store. They're going to break in, have Iceman clean them, and then be out. And they'll have 100% of the profits. And I love, this was so cute because we've had everybody else talk to Sophie so far and Hardison calls her because he needs to call the little lady to tell her he won't be home that night. And he calls Sophie instead. And she's like, I got to go to Nate. And he's like, no, don't do that puppet. But just having to talk in code with her, she's like, oh, are you? First, she's like, what accent is that? I would be really offended if I was a British person and Hardison was trying to be British like this. And she says, well, uh, you know, as long as they're not Russians, but they're Russians. And so she has to call Nate to let him know what's happening. And so they've got to go in and help help save Hardison. And I love that Elliot had courtside seats to a basketball game or something and he's super pissed that he's been brought back into this and Nate just goes, Elliot says hi. And so the Russians want to go through this tunnel and they want to explode up through the floor using debt cord. And they can't do that. Parker says, because that'll set off the seismic sensors in the vault. And they, so they have to figure out a way to get in or these Russians are going to shoot Hardison in the throat. Um, and then we, we get this funny bit where Nate and Hardison and Parker can't figure out the laptop. They can't, they can't figure out how Hardison does any of this stuff. And they also have to worry about, okay, if we're having to steal these diamonds, how are we going to like point the finger at Carity? Because if we get away with it, how is he going to get in trouble? And how are we going to you know, get justice for our, our dude, our cop? Um, so Nate goes back in and, and they're they're like, don't call Sophie <laughs> again. Uh, Nate goes back in as Sterling to at first I thought he was just trying to distract Carity, but he's really just getting him to tell him everything about his vault. So he says, you know, we need to check up on, you know, see if everything is up to code and how your uh, policy is written out. So his vault is the most extra thing. It's 13 has a 13 ton steel door, which can withstand 12 hours of drilling. It has a lock with a million possible combinations. It has magnetic sensors with an RGB keypad and uh, pressure sensitive tiles, a 24 hour a day guard outside, letting people in, uh, in and out of the building, uh, heat and motion detectors once you're inside, and then security fog if any of these things get triggered. 
so it seems pretty unbreakable and Hardison is definitely not going to be able to do this, <laughs> especially just through like being coached through a comm. So the team has to break in for him ahead of time, like prep this for him to go in. It's like, it's like a, like a restaurant kitchen. It's the mise en place. It's like everything's been prepped before the chef gets there. <laughs> and then he has to go in and do it. Um, so, and Parker says, why not? He's been taking credit for all my work today anyway. And again, I don't think she's as angry as I would be. Like, you know, she's got to get this job done, but I would, he'd be paying for weeks. He would. Yeah. I think it's a weird thing because I think what Hardison doesn't get is she never gets to take credit for this. Yeah. Ever. So like, even in this tiny con for him taking credit for it, it's irritating because that's Mm -hmm. more people who think think some dude who can't even break into a safe did it (laughs) yeah exactly and yeah i think being a a master thief is something that you don't want the world to know about because then you're not very good at your job and she does have a reputation among other thieves but but it is it's just it's another man taking credit for a woman's work it's just (laughs) no stop that so nate goes back in to distract carity for real this time. And when he walks in, Carity's being like this total creep about this woman. And he like, he's like, that's $30,000 around your neck. It just, and he tells her to go ahead to the bar. Cause she's going to earn that later. Like, ew, what a cr- oh my God. Yes. Let's screw this guy over. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's not take all his money, but let's make sure he goes to jail. Yeah. They were making uh, very, very sure. We did not feel sorry for him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Elliot shows up like he's an armored car driver and they did the fun thing where they just put a picture of an armored car in front of the security camera so that the guard is like oh they're here early and just lets him in and then he punches the security guard out and he apologizes because that guy's just doing his job Uh, and so Parker goes in and takes care of the magnetic sensor for Hardison and puts in a, like an easy one for him to fix, to like break into, which I'm like, God, that's so much work. Like it's not just breaking into this unbreakable vault. It's making it look like somebody else. Like I just, she's so good. So she fakes the magnetic sensor, figures out the combination and like writes it down with invisible ink so he can see it later. Um, while Hardison is pretending to break in and beating up, fake beating up Elliot. <laughs> and they get a fun little little bit where he's like trying to beat him up. And he, he says, next time I'm going to be the grifter. And he's like, I'd like to see you do an accent. <laughs> and Elliot says, I'd like to see you do an accent. <laughs> and then Hardison says, I went to Second City in Chicago. <laughs> Because, of course, Hardison went to Second City in Chicago. Like, that man never sleeps. I know in a, a couple episodes episodes ago, uh, Elliot says he only sleeps 90 minutes a day or something. But I think it's Hardison who sleeps way less than that. Although, Hardison having been through improv explains a lot about his approach <laughs> to role playing. <laughs> that's true yeah oh my god now i just want to see him doing improv like you know just yes anding people (sighs) so yeah so nate's talking to carity and he pisses them off by asking for a bribe he's like ah that's the reason i'm here after hours we could just grease these wheels and you know he's trying to stand in front of the the cameras but he's also pissing him off and then parker is hanging on the vault door by these those suction cup handle things which is such a cool scene when like the the door closes and she's like holding on and then she jumps from there to the pipes that go across the ceiling because she's a monkey and elliot's like elliot's proud he's like watching her on the cameras he's like yeah nail or she she stuck the landing or something and then hardison just like he's been doing the entire episode is just you know 
full speed ahead and they're trying to slow him down because he's breaking in too quickly and Parker's not ready. And he keeps having to do little things like slow himself down and then he gets cute little bits with the Russians. Oh, I didn't... I meant to mention back when he's kind of working with the Russians to figure out how they're going to get in. He like lists all the things that they need, a Phillips head screwdriver and something else. And then the guy, the main Russian, like gives him this cheesy thumbs up and he's like, you got it. (laughs) It's so like a second ago, he was holding a gun to his throat. And then he's like, big old grin. You got it. (laughs) So good. But in this one, he he has to spray something on the the magnetic sensor and the guy's like, oh, it smells like patchouli. <laughs> and, you know, he takes every opportunity to like slow down and be like, what'd you say? Oh, you know, you're, you're just as good as you say you are. And he says, I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. <laughs> uh, which is great. But he's still breaking in too quickly, even with all of these little stalling techniques and Parker's not ready she gets the floor turned off, but not like the sound and um, everything else. But then the Hardison and the Russians get in. And as far as we know, she's been unable to break into the correct uh, box where the diamonds are. Uh, well, I don't think they know which box that is yet. That's true. Because Hardison asked, tried to get them to tell him early. And they were like, we'll tell you when we're in the vault. Oh, yeah. But then, yeah, because when they get in and he says, oh, box 28 or whatever, 70, I don't know, remember what number it was. Um, 72, I wrote it down. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Elliot's like, she didn't have time to open it. So I guess she was going to open all of the boxes. Which makes sense in a second. Um, So somehow Parker turns invisible because by the time they get in there, she's not there. And at this point, Carity's pulled a gun on Nate and Nate has to move out of the way of the cameras and, or the, the, the video screen and Carity sees the video and realizes people are breaking into his vault. So he runs downstairs and as the Russians turn to, you know, talk to him, he's like, Oh, we're going to take all the, the diamonds. That was not a Russian accent. I apologize. Um, Hardison like disappears and I love love scenes like that where they turn back around and they're gone because and it's always because of Parker like Parker's lifted somebody up or Parker's pulled somebody in somewhere because uh, she's Batman Um, and Hardison disappears and the security system is triggered which closes the vault and it it pumps the fog into the air and we see that Parker has pulled Hardison into one of the larger boxes, vault things, which I love that they pointed out earlier when Nate was disarming the heat sensor with the hairspray because he says, oh, your boxes go from 82 to 85. And then he's like, oh, it's over here. And he points at this larger one. So you realize, oh, this is a big place where we'd keep. I don't know, really tall diamonds, like suits of armor. I don't know. Or approximately two thieves. Yeah, exactly. Um, two thieves in very intimate quarters. Um, and they uh, they use the debt cord that the Russians wanted to use earlier to bust through the floor and, and fall through. And then the state police show up and Lieutenant Bonanno comes in and finds the diamonds in box 72, which is open at this point it like busted open at some point but parker didn't have a chance to unlock it so i she might have stuck i don't actually know how deck card works but she might have stuck deck card on both places and so it all blew at once Ooh, it didn't look damaged but i like that um i like that theory let's go with that one because hardison didn't have time to break in to like pick that lock uh and oh so so he finds the diamonds and the um the hats and stuff for the armored car service which points the the finger right at carity so he's going to go down for insurance fraud and theft 
And and then they escaped through the tunnel that was not a good way in, but was a great way out. Which I love like that, that kind of view as they're coming out and Nate standing on this. At this railing and there's the river behind him and there's a bridge and it's just a really cool shot of him just waiting. <laughs> and Nate gets the injured driver a briefcase of cash that they got from the diamond that they nicked in the heist earlier. Um. So I guess they did end up cleaning that diamond. Because it had a, a serial code number on it. Well, or Parker knows somebody who. Yeah, she knows. You know, I mean, because they, they could probably have given it to someone who factored that into whatever they paid for it. Yeah. Like, I'll get it cleaned and instead, since it's not cleaned yet, I'll pay you X amount. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, you're good at this. <laughs> I like this. I like your ideas because I would have been like, I don't know. Maybe they flew to Antwerp really fast. <laughs> I mean, they could have also flown to Antwerp. They could have. I mean, they are very rich. Uh, when Hardison, when they're leaving the the place where they pretended to clean the diamond, Elliot says, I can't believe you rented a Ferrari. And Hardison's like, rented? What are you talking about? And then you're like, oh, yeah, y'all are all so rich. <laughs> You have so much money from that very first job. Uh, yeah, so he has this cash, this briefcase of mysterious cash that he can use to pay off his medical bills, which is good. And then Hardison and Elliot and Parker are sitting at the bar and Hardison's smiling. And he says it's because Elliot said he wasn't going to save him, but he did. And he's he's like trying to hug Elliot, but he's not into it. But but Christian can at the very end like is almost about to break. And almost about to crack up, and you can tell. But Parker's still a little pissed. She's like, no. But she's still, she's not as angry as I think she should be. And I, and as far as we know, Hardison never apologized. Which is upsetting to me. Um, and then Nate calls Sophie, and this is, these are my, what I wrote. Nate calls Sophie and is stupid. Because he just, like, bungles this entire conversation with her. Because he, I mean, and he's trying. He's trying to give her her space because she she wanted to go off and bury her alter egos before she can come back and really be herself. Um, But he just says, I'm sorry, I won't let them call you again. And then just kind of leaves it at that. And it's just so awkward. And then he's just like, uh, uh, uh. Bye. <laughs> then he just hangs up on her. Like, Nate, you need to go to therapy. <laughs> really bad. Yeah. Oh. No, they're pretty dysfunctional. And it's funny, too, because she immediately says, oh, so you're saying it was fine without me and there were no troubles? And he's like, no, no, that isn't. I mean, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's trying to give her space and then but that's also where she's sensitive is she wants doesn't want to not feel part of this crew anymore. Right. I mean, she's the one who left and said she needed space, but she has I don't know how many days it's actually been, but she has literally taken a phone call from everybody. So <laughs> Yes. She's changed outfits several times. So I mean it probably could still be the same day since it's Sophie. That's true. And I wonder if she's, because the bar that she's in at the beginning when she talks to Parker looks exactly like the bar that she's in when she talks to Nate, even though her outfit is completely different and almost doesn't seem appropriate for that. Because the first bar, she's like, there's like a soccer match, football match going on. Uh, And then she's in that like mink coat at the end. And I'm like, I don't know if that seems like something you'd wear to the pub. (laughs) <laughs> to watch the match I was wondering if the coat was just sort of a so you you know that if I mean they, they kept it really tight anyway so it wasn't an issue but the mink coat was the kind of thing that if you pulled back it seemed like you would focus just on the coat and not on any any pregnancy bump that might show oh yeah and yeah, and you also focus on the bump or on the 
the coat and maybe not the background so much. That's true, yeah. Because he is, it is very distracting. Yeah. It's a good episode. I do, I miss having Sophie in it for more, but there are obvious reasons why she can't be in it. Um, but yeah. Where do you think this lies in your favorite episodes? Um, well, it's one of those ones where it's hard to watch because Hardison um, does get so far so deep into trouble <laughs> really quickly and doing exactly what everyone told him he shouldn't be doing. Um, but it also makes a lot of sense when we remember, you know, who Hardison is and where. I don't want to say developmentally because it sounds like he's not an adult, but in a lot of ways, he's not an adult. <laughs> um, he stunted in, in several different areas you know, of his life. And so, um, so much like, you know, so he's really trying to take control and really trying to roll with this new role and new element to it and not have to be the guy in the van. And of course, that meant they couldn't access the security and they didn't know how to do all the stuff he did in the van. Yeah. Um, he taught them some things, but he does so many things. It's impossible to train everybody in those things. Right. And so, you know. So they're each kind of shifting roles a little. Um, and so there were some growing pains and we're used to them being really good at their job. And in this case... Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the obstacles they hit were problems they created instead of, I mean, definitely the bad guys did escalate, but the bad guys escalated because they, <laughs> because of a problem or a situation because that they, the they made, that they, they made because as Hardison points out to the guys, you know, like he's literally bringing us the diamonds here tomorrow. Like we could just wait until tomorrow morning and, achieve the exact same thing you're saying you want now yeah <laughs> and they're like, we wouldn't have to break into a vault and they're like <laughs> nope and it's like okay but i mean you could still do that and you could still take the diamonds away from him yeah and it would be so much easier we could just go get some pizza like no okay you want me to prove that i'm an amazing criminal okay sure yeah and i think with the like Hardison wanting to prove himself throughout the whole series. I don't know if it's, it's not super spoiler yet because I think the relationship with Hardison and, and Nate is really very much mentor mentee. Um, and we haven't seen that in a little bit because we've been really focused on, on Sophie in this season, but uh, it is very much like Nate is training Hardison to be, you know, a, a mini Nate. And this seems like he's so eager to take on a larger role. And and like you said, not just be the guy in the van that um, he gets overzealous and, and then he gets in too deep and he, he can't help himself. He's just so excited. Right. Ugh. But it's good. And it, and it is, it's weird. I think it's, I don't want to say it's uneven because it, it's meant to be uneven, you know, because not everybody's there. Uh, but yeah, the last couple episodes, though, are just like so I like I think they're so perfect that this one. And it probably also is because my my love, my Hardison is the one who's screwing up and he's so cringeworthy that I'm like, I can't 100 percent revel in the and there's not as much competency porn um, as there usually is, except for. Parker, because she's so freaking good. Like, Elliot only gets to punch one person. Right? <laughs> I mean, he kind of, like... Well, I guess he fights the guys at the beginning in the bar, but it's very little, very little Elliot fighting. Uh, and so that feels a little off. And then not having Sophie there is... It is, like, a huge gap. Could be a little chunk missing from our lives. <laughs> but she has her babies and she comes back. Or her baby and comes back. Um. Okay, so... I have a heist light for us. Are you ready? I am. For this real life heist light. Um, so I found, I found one article that came up the other day. I was on 
on an NPR website and I found it really cool one, but it's pretty short and there's not, I think more information will be revealed. So I'm going to wait on that one. But while I was on there, I found this article from back in August and the headline is a small town couple left behind a stolen painting worth over a hundred million dollars and a big mystery. So this couple Jerry and Rita Alter, who live in this small town in New Mexico, uh, they um, they died recently. So, uh, well, yeah, they're they're both dead now. Um, when they they passed away, a a stolen Willem de Kooning painting that was worth an estimated one hundred and sixty million dollars was discovered in their bedroom. So it had been stolen 30 years before uh, the day after Thanksgiving from the University of Arizona Museum of Art in Tucson. And um, so they this article, it goes through and kind of like pieces things together. So uh, on Wednesday, the Arizona Republic reported that a family photo of the two of them had surfaced showing that the day before the painting vanished, that couple was in Tucson. And... Um, that the next morning, a man and woman would walk into the museum and then leave 15 minutes later. A security guard had unlocked the museum's front door to let a staff member into the lobby, curator Olivia Miller told NPR. The couple followed. Since the museum was about to open for the day, the guard just let them in. The man walked up to the museum's second floor while the woman struck up a conversation with the guard. A few minutes later, he came back downstairs and the two abruptly left. Uh... Sensing that something wasn't right, the guard walked upstairs. There, he saw an empty frame where de Kooning's woman ochre had hung. At the time, the museum had no surveillance cameras, because it was 30 years ago. Uh, and police found no fingerprints. Uh, one witness described seeing a rust-colored sports car drive away, but they didn't get the license plate. And so for 31 years, this frame just remained empty. And then in 2012, uh, Jerry passed away, and five years later, Rita passed away. Uh, and then after their deaths, a um, I think somebody bought their estate and and realized this I mean, this looks like it could be the real thing, and so they called up or they had it somewhere, um, and like several people walked in and were like, "That looks like a real decooning." So they called up the museum and they were like, "Oh my god, this is it!" Uh, and these people, like by all you know, in, for all intents and purposes, were just like normal folks. Um, they lived in this tiny town. It's named Cliff. There are 293 people who live in this town. <laughs> they moved there in the 70s or 80s. And Jerry was a musician and a teacher uh, before he retired to New Mexico. And he wrote uh, some books. Uh, and, and in fact, in 2011, he wrote a book called Aesop's Fables Set in Verse. And in that had a short story about an art theft. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, and the two of them like to travel a lot. Rita was a speech pathologist and everyone was like, she was really nice, but she was just really quiet. And she didn't share a lot about her, her, um, you know, her private life. And, um, oh, his, sorry, his book of short stories was the cup and the lip exotic tales, which were his stories were an amalgamation of actuality and fantasy. And he wrote the story about, <laughs> that's so creepy is called the eye of the jaguar which concerns itself with lou a security guard in an art museum one day a middle-aged woman and her 14 year old granddaughter show up the older woman asks lou about the history of a prized emerald on display six months later she and her granddaughter return and then leave in a rush and they steal it and then they like hit the security guard with their car on the way out and he dies <laughs> and then they like keep this emerald and no one ever sees it they don't sell it. It just sits in an empty room it just for these two people to appreciate. And the painting, and they say he could just as easily have been describing the de Kooning, but um, nobody thought of that until the painting was discovered in the altar's bedroom where it had been positioned in such a way that you couldn't see it unless you were inside the room with the door shut. So they had it like just hidden. So yeah, so her nephew was the executor of the estate after she died. And he put the house on the market and began to liquidate its contents. And so some antique stealers came up and were like, um, this is, that looks real. So it's been, uh, it's been returned. And as far as they know, like they didn't sell, like steal anything else. 
Oh, the guy, the guy who found it, he says he called the the museum. He says, I got a student receptionist. And I said to her, I think I have a piece of art that was stolen from you guys. And she said, what piece? And I said, the de Kooning. And she said, hold, please. And says Miller, the museum's curator, uh, said that what made her pause was when Van Ocker described how the painting had cracked as if it had been rolled up. It was a detail that no one could have invented unless they knew how it had been taken. The dimensions were, um, so they measured it, and the dimensions were an inch off from the original uh, info that they had on the painting, which corresponded with it being cut out of the frame. Um, Van Ocker, the guy who had called them up, took the painting home and stayed up all night with his guns, (laughs) getting startled every time he heard a branch scrape against the side of the house because you have a $160 million painting in your house. Oh. Well, and I can uh, also imagine that, like, <clears throat> it's just weird to call and be like, I found this thing that I think was stolen, but I swear it wasn't me. And I'll yeah. return it to you. And then you think, crap, what if someone takes it from me? And I'm like, I swear I had it. <laughs> right. Why would I call you and then get rid of it? I Yeah. Oh, man. Yes. Luckily, the next night, a delegation from the museum arrived to get it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... It's so crazy. It says over the past year, a handful of clues potentially linking the altars to the theft have surfaced. Several people told the New York Times that they had a red sports car similar to the one that was spotted leaving the museum. Uh, some of the couple's photos show Rita in a red coat, like the one that the woman at the museum had been wearing. And Ruth Seawolf, a real estate, the real estate agent who put the altars home on the market, told the the newspaper that she had. Um, taken home a luggage set and inside found glasses and a scarf that matched the police description. So like she kept these clothes for 30 years <laughs> that matched those things in the altars. This is what's, this is one of the crazy things in the altars day planner from 1985. They took meticulous notes about what they ate, where they went and the medications they had on Thanksgiving, 1985, they mysteriously left it blank. And that was the day of the theft. Uh, and now there, there's a family photo that shows that they were in Tucson before the painting was stolen. And the the police sketch of of the two of, of the thieves looks a lot like them. Um, um, let's see. So they have they had two kids, but they were um, so reports from. Yeah, they haven't been able to locate either of their children. Really? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So several of their couple's acquaintances said that their son has severe psychological problems and has been institutionalized off and on since the eighties. Um, and his Jerry's sister says this, the idea that they would have stolen it was absurd. Um, and some people are saying, Oh, well, maybe it was the son and, or the daughter and not them. Uh, just, just as crazy. It says something else doesn't add up. Jerry and Rita Alter worked in public schools for most of their careers, yet they somehow managed to travel to 140 countries and all seven continents, documenting documenting their trips with ten thousand tens of thousands of photos. And yet, when they died, they had more than a million dollars in their bank account. <laughs> but it's so weird because if they still had the painting, how? I'm, unless that's actually not the only thing that unless they stole. That's not the only painting they stole. It's just the only right. one they kept. Oh my gosh. That's so crazy. I freaking love. Like, I hate people stealing art. I think that's bad, but it's, it's a really cool story. And that no one ever suspected them. They lived in this tiny town. They just kept this painting in their bedroom, which had to be like give you a thrill every time you closed your bedroom door and saw it. You know, I would never steal art. I don't want to make it sound like that would be something I would do. All right. Have you heard about any interesting heists you want to share? No, I haven't. Good, because we've been kind of running off. (laughs) And I want to get this um, like edited and posted for Thanksgiving because that's that's Thursday. But yeah, okay. Tara, tell us where people can find you on the internet if they want to talk about leverage more. I'm on Twitter at Tara, T-A-R-A-T-L-K. 
Is it talk, Tara talk, or is the or the it is your initials? initials? Okay, cool. It's like that cool new thing where people don't put the vowels on words, which I think is so dumb, stupid. I like vowels, okay. <laughs> and you can find me to talk about leverage or just about anything else uh, at Librarian Ste, and that's S T I for Christina. So next episode will be the lost air job and i actually do know who my co-host will be i'm going to be talking with uh sally kilpatrick i'm excited and that'll be two weeks from when this goes down so two weeks from thursday so everybody have a happy thanksgiving and you won't see us again but you'll hear us again when we talk about the lost air job 